Um, I want to read. Uh, I want to read with you this morning from uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter fifty-two. Um, very famous words that we're going to read together. Um, they will be up on the screen, or you can follow uh, in your own Bible. Um, maybe just before I read them, um, it's worth saying this: that um, I think this is one of the most poetic, uh, beautiful passages in Scripture. Uh, one of those those real uh, beautiful poetic moments in the prophet Isaiah, um, and it's maybe easy because the words are beautiful. It's easy to miss the fact that they were not originally addressed to people who were having a nice time or an easy time. Sometimes when we hear beautiful words, we think they, they must be for a sunny day when everything is well and everything is right. Um, look out in the in the words that we're going to read this morning. You'll. You'll, you'll hear the words, the ruins of Jerusalem, pop up in the middle of this section. Um, and th- this kind of middle section of Isaiah, um, the, the middle chapters of, of Isaiah, are addressed to the people of God in a time of national disaster, after they had been conquered by Babylon. Um, so the context into which these words speak is when Jerusalem is in ruins, the temple is rubble, the people are in exile, right? So it's national disaster, it's chaos, it's calamity. Uh, It was a time that must have felt like the end of the world, right? If you were living through that as the people of Israel, it felt like the sky was falling down and the world was ending. And in that context, the voice of the prophet speaks, and this is what he says. Isaiah 52, uh, reading from verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, They will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Um, It's really powerful, beautiful passage, and whatever uh, you remember or don't remember from what I say this morning, um, I want to encourage you to take that passage, um, go and read it again this afternoon, go and read it as you go into your week. Um, I think it'll do you good as you you read and reflect and pray. Um, But I kind of want to do maybe the the sermon back to front this morning. So maybe normally we would kind of unpack what's in the passage, and then we might apply it to our lives. Um, but I'm going to kind of reverse the order this morning. I want, to, um, I want to talk for a few minutes about why I think we really need these verses in our current context. Um, so kind of thinking about our, where we are. Um, and then I want to kind of unpack some of the things that are, that are in the passage. Um, so maybe just, just beginning uh, with that really famous opening. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. So God's desire is that his people, that's you and I, would be carriers of good news 
that kind of makes people catch their breath and go, how beautiful is that when you see it? How beautiful when God's people carry good news that brings joy. There's a lot of joy in this passage that we read. People breaking into songs of joy. Um, So that's God's desire for his people. Even in a time of chaos and calamity and national disaster, even when it feels like the end of the world, God's desire is that his people would carry good news of great joy, right? And maybe what I want to reflect on with you a little bit is that I think, and I, I think, I hope you'll agree with me, that there's great danger in our present circumstances that we become carriers of a very different kind of news, that rather than be carriers of good news that brings joy and that is beautiful, we can end up carrying a very different kind of news in our present circumstances. And I want to reflect on that for a few minutes and then we'll come back to the passage. Um, there's maybe two kinds of bad news that I think we can, end, we can end up carrying at the minute. And one of them is this, is that we can end up carrying bad news of great fear <laughs> instead of this beautiful good news of great joy. Um, our minds and our hearts and our speech can become consumed by fear, by anxiety. Um, fear of this invisible enemy that is stalking our world. Um, and we can become naturally, humanly, very afraid of sickness and of death for ourselves and for those we love. And we can find ourselves every day poring over the news and paying very close attention to the latest figures and the statistics and the graphs and the maps of where it is and where it's not. Um, and where it's bad, and we listen very closely to warnings of surges and spikes and waves. It's all very uh, scary language, isn't it? And we're hyper aware of every outbreak that's happening in our community or uh, in Northern Ireland. Um, And we're really, really aware of stories of people uh, who have died, people uh, who have nearly died, people who've suffered long-term symptoms, and so on and so on and so on. And we can become completely consumed by that story of fear. Um, Now, it's maybe very important uh, to say this, that um, coronavirus is clearly a genuine and serious threat to our health, and it makes sense to pay some attention to the real dangers and to some of the things that we can do to be wise and careful. I don't really need to tell you all that because you're all looking at me wearing masks. Um, but it's, it's right that we pay some attention to the ways that we can be careful to reduce risk for ourselves and especially for others around us and especially those who are most vulnerable. Um, maybe I could put it this way. We should give coronavirus as much attention as it deserves, right? But no more. But I, I do want to say this. Um, I maybe said quite bluntly this morning that it's not good for us as the people of God, when this virus comes to dominate our minds, when it comes to dominate the landscape of our imaginations, when it consumes our thoughts and grips our hearts, that it can actually happen to an extent where when you pause in a quiet moment, you can actually feel the buzz of anxiety and fear in your body. Because it's kind of in the air, it's in the the atmosphere at the minute, and I don't know if you've noticed that, you can almost feel the anxiety in your body. Um, It's not good when we as the people of God 
um, end up being people who are mainly carrying bad news of great fear, so that when our friends and neighbours see us coming, they know that what's going to come out of our mouths is more stories of fear, right? I wonder, do you, do you recognise there's a danger at the minute that that could happen? That when people see us coming, they don't think, how beautiful, <laughs> here comes the good news. They think, I'm going to get an earful of anxiety and worry, and did you hear this, and did you hear that, and did you hear the other? And we get stuck in this loop of anxiety and fear. Um, so that's one danger, that we become carriers of bad news of great fear. Um, I think there's another danger, is that we become carriers of bad news of great anger. <laughs> um, or maybe you could add other words like agitation and annoyance. Um, if it's not, you don't think it's full-blown anger. Um, and maybe I'm thinking here mainly of getting agitated and annoyed and angry about government guidelines and restrictions. Um, maybe this anger, agitation, um, annoyance can take a number of different forms. So I'm going to mention a few forms it can take. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand when you recognise yourself, um, but you can look out and see if any of these apply to you. Um, so a few forms of, that the anger, annoyance can take. Um, some of us accept that the guidelines are necessary, but still we think and talk constantly about how annoying they are and how uncomfortable they are and how inconvenient they are and how irritating they are. And we're not quite sure who to be angry with, but we're just kind of really annoyed all the time. So that's one possibility. Um, some of us accept that the guidelines are necessary, but we get very annoyed about the way that they're applied and the way that they're implemented by the lack of clarity in communication, the lack of forward notice. That's a big one the last couple of weeks. Uh, the lack of consistency in different areas of life or different regions. And we're, we're kind of annoyed constantly by what we see as the incompetence of parts of government. Okay, I don't know if you recognised yourself yet. Um, some of us have more significant questions or quarrels with government uh, maybe some of us are not convinced that the current policies are effective and we have questions about the effectiveness of masks or the effectiveness of lockdowns and we think more attention should be given to things like social health and mental health as well as physical health. And that may be where our agitation is around those kind of bigger questions about what's going on. And then at some point, right, and I'm going to choose my words carefully, this questioning of the dominant narrative can tip over into some pretty wild and hairy conspiracy theories, and we can disappear down some rabbit holes of speculation. Now, I immediately want to say different people will have different views about where the line is between healthy questioning of the dominant narrative and wild conspiracy theories, and so we may have a different view of where it gets wild and hairy, right? But... Um, Actually, I don't want us to get distracted by that. We may have a different view of that. But actually, the main thing that I want to say, say to us as the people of God this morning, um, I think, uh, will stand nonetheless. Um, that I want to say this, it's good for us to be awake and informed about what's going on in our world. It's good to ask questions and not just accept things without thought. And there are even times when anger can be a healthy response when there's injustice, when there are things that are not right. Anger can be a healthy place to visit, right? 
But I keep coming back to this verse in James 1, verse 20, where James writes, human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Um, Our anger doesn't tend to lead anywhere good. We actually rarely do anything useful or fruitful or constructive when we get angry and agitated and annoyed. Um, If I can put it this way, we tend to just stew in the juices of our annoyance and then invite other people to stew in the juices of our annoyance with us. And we we want other people to join us in it. Isn't this annoying? Let's stew together. Does that bear good fruit in our lives? Does it lead anywhere good? Does it lead to righteousness in our world? Um, Just as I said, it's not good for us as God's people to be dominated by fear. It's not good for us when our minds are dominated by anger and agitation. And when those things dominate the landscape of our imagination and when they consume our thoughts and grip our hearts. And again, Sometimes in your quiet moments, if this is you, you can feel the buzz of agitation and anger in your body, even, even in your physical body. Um, and the anger, too, can come to dominate our conversation. So when our neighbours see us coming, <laughs> they know what they're going to get. They know they're going to get another rant about government guidelines and whatever form it takes for you and I. They don't think here comes the good news. They think, here comes the angry news, because that's what we're carrying. Um, I hope you don't hear me giving you a hard time this morning. I, I'm sharing things that I recognize to be a danger for me, <laughs> that I can become consumed by these things. I think it's very easy without vigilance to, to become dominated by these things. And so I want to say to me, I want to say to you, it's not God's desire for his people And also that it's not inevitable. We can choose a different way, a different story, a different song, a different news to carry. But it's not easy. Um, There's a a famous quotation uh, that I used to love. um, And I'll explain in a moment why I don't love it as much anymore. But um, Karl Barth uh, once said, we should have the Bible. uh, We must hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And I think he went on to say that we should then read the newspaper through the lens of the Bible, which is very wise and very good and very true, and I still agree with it. But um, here's why, why I wonder sometimes about this now, is that our world has changed so rapidly. It used to be you could read the newspaper for a bit and then set it down and walk away. But then the world has changed. First television with regular news bulletins on the hour, and then 24-hour news channels with non-stop news, so you can get it anytime you want. And then the internet with news sources updated minute by minute. And then mobile phones, so you can carry that around with you in your pocket and get the updates anytime you, you want them. And then social media, which keeps you hooked in and addicted to that constant drip, drip, drip of update and news and all the rest. Um, there's a, a sense in which today... Uh, rather than having the news in our hand, we can actually end up living inside the news. So it becomes the world that we inhabit, and it shapes us and forms us, and actually disciples us. I don't think that's too strong a word to say. What, what does that do to your mind and your heart when you live inside the news that is full of fear and full of anger? 
What does it do to your body? What does it do to your soul? Um, I think we can end up living inside the world of the news and we visit the world of the Bible uh, and the good news that's in the Bible from time to time, but it can't compete with the 24-hour news cycle of fear and outrage. And I find myself wondering, um, this is a really challenging question, right? But what would it look like for us to reverse that picture? Uh, Let me put up this image for the headlines that grip us to be the good news of great joy for all people. What would it look like for you and I to live inside the world of the good news? So that's what we start with in the morning and end with at night and check all through the day. And live inside the story of Jesus and his good news. So that it shapes us and forms us and disciples us. And then from that place, to visit from time to time the world of the newspaper, the world of the news. To be informed and to be engaged and to know how we can pray and how we can act. And then to disconnect from that again and go back and live in the real world. Because this is the real world. (laughs) Is God's world. It's the world of what God has done and is doing in Jesus. Um, and I find myself wondering, what would it take to change the record so that you and I become, again, not carriers of news of fear or carriers of news of anger, but carriers of good news, so that whenever your neighbours see you coming, they know that they're not going to get the same tired old news, but they're going to get something genuinely new something genuinely beautiful, something life-giving, something good. Um, So I know that's a bit blunt, maybe. Um, It's blunt for me. Um, I hope you can hear it as well this morning. Um, In the run-up to Christmas, um, we're going to soak ourselves in the good news of Jesus. Um, uh, But I want to start this morning with this text from Isaiah. And just for a few minutes, I want to pick out with you just to start to soak ourselves, rather than stewing in fear and anger, let's marinate ourselves in the gospel, right? And let's begin just by picking out three things from this passage. If we ask Isaiah, what is the nature of the good news that we carry? Uh, I want to pick out three things from what Isaiah says. Uh, And this will get us started uh, as we, we come to focus on the good news. First thing is this, is that it's good news of peace. How beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, proclaiming peace. Um, wonder is there anything our anxious and agitated world needs more right now than good news of peace? <laughs> that peace is possible, that peace is available. Um, probably when you and I think of peace, we think first of peace of mind. Um, And certainly that's part of the promise of the good news, the peace of God that can guard our hearts and our minds, as it says in Philippians. Um, But actually, peace in the Bible is both deeper and wider than just peace of mind. The Hebrew word shalom, uh, we've talked about many times, speaks of wholeness and well-being and fullness of life. And it's deeply relational. It starts with peace with God. And then it flows out into peace with other people. And peace within ourselves kind of follows in the wake. Peace with God flowing into peace with others. And inner peace or peace of mind, peace of heart following after. Um, And this peace 
is not something we can create for ourselves, but it's given by God as his gift. Um, And whenever we reach the New Testament, this peace becomes focused around Jesus. Paul says in one of his letters, he himself is our peace. He says in Colossians, Jesus is the one who makes peace by the blood of his cross. It's not easy to make peace. It's deeply costly. He makes peace by the blood of his cross. Paul says in Romans, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says to his scared disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Right? The good news that you and I carry is good news of peace. It is possible. It is available. It is in Jesus and his cross. Um, so that's good news of peace. Second thing is that it's good news of salvation. If peace is one of our best words, um, salvation is also one of our best words. Um, salvation in the Bible, I think, is kind of a, a story word. There's, there's a story that it evokes. Um, what kind of story does the word salvation tell? I think it, it kind of goes in two directions, at least. Um, it's a story of captives being set free, right? So uh, if you imagine being a prisoner and being held hostage and being tied with ropes or chains and enclosed in a small dark place and then someone comes and breaks into your darkness and releases you from what entangles you and brings you into the light and into freedom. That's salvation. Salvation tells a story of being rescued from captivity and imprisonment and darkness and brought into freedom and into the light. The second story that salvation tells is a story of the broken and the wounded and the sick being healed. It's a healing word. Imagine that you're sick and you're weak and you're in pain and you're unable to stand or leave your bed or do anything. And then someone comes to you and somehow or other brings healing and you become whole and well and strong and you're able to rise up and walk. That, that is a picture of salvation. Except we're not just talking about healing of our body, but healing of the soul of our soul sickness, of the deepest parts of us, healing of our whole lives. Salvation is about captives being set free. Salvation is about the healing of everything that is broken and wrong and twisted and damaged in our lives and our souls. And again, just like with peace, in the New Testament, the promise of salvation becomes focused on Jesus. He is the one who sets the captives free. He's the one who brings healing to damage bodies and minds and souls, to the deepest parts of our damaged human nature. When we get to the Christmas story, we'll hear the angel saying, you're to give him the name, I'm getting ahead, I'm jumping ahead, you're to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins, from the sin that holds them captive, from the sin that's making them sick in the depths of their being. He will save. And so, The gospel that you and I carry, it's good news of salvation, that salvation is possible, that salvation is available, and it's in Jesus. It says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, you'll be rescued, you'll be set free, you'll be healed, you'll be saved. 
Third thing, I mean, that's good enough already, right? It's good news of peace. It's good news of salvation. The third thing is this, is that it's good news about a king. Isaiah says, say to Zion, say to God's people, your God reigns. In a world that seems out of control and chaotic and in national calamity and the end of the world and disaster, God's people confess that God reigns as king. And again, in the New Testament, this becomes focused on Jesus. He is God's anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the king. He is the one who announces the kingdom of God is now at hand. It's breaking in. It's available uh, for whoever wants it. Uh, Because Jesus came and was obedient to death, even the death of the cross, what does Paul say in Philippians 2? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is King. Um, And in a world right now where people are looking for hope in all kinds of places, I don't know where you're looking for hope right now, and we look for it in political leaders and scientists and doctors, in artists and musicians and therapists and celebrities and sports stars and religious leaders and preachers. And you and I need to acknowledge that all of those in their best moments can help, right? All of them can help. But we do not give them the allegiance of our hearts. We confess only one king as the hope of our messed up world and the hope of our messed up hearts. Um, So I want to encourage you, um, go this week, figure out what you need to do to disconnect as much as possible from the fear and the outrage and marinate yourself in this good news of great joy because it'll do you good and then you'll have something beautiful and something joyful to carry to your neighbours. Let's pray for each other. Let me pray for you and myself and then we're going to sing just in response. Father, I want to thank you for this good news of great joy that in Jesus there is the possibility of peace for our scared hearts and our fractured world that in Jesus there is the hope of salvation of rescue from everything that entangles us and drags us down and from the sickness in our hearts because of sin And that in Jesus there is a king we can trust to to lead us to a new world of righteousness and peace where you will make all things well and all things new. Um, Father, help us to believe this good news in the depths of our hearts. Help us to soak ourselves in it. Um, Forgive us when we listen to the voices of this world more than we listen to your voice. Help us as your people this week to listen to this announcement of good news and let it dominate our minds, let it dominate the landscape of our imagination and let us become people who embody this good news so when our neighbours see us coming, 
they know that we're bringing something different, something genuinely beautiful and new. That is the good news of Jesus. Father, teach us how to work this into our lives uh, today, tomorrow, in the week ahead. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.